0: Lights, camera, action. It's philosophy talk. Jean-Luc Godard once said that film is the truth 24 times a second.
1: How can we get emotionally involved with huge two-dimensional images?
0: Film is a medium. It's a material that lends itself to fiction. Celluloid that has been exposed to the light and which is then projected from a light behind you to a very large image, which gives you a kind of emotional immersion that I don't think anything else matches. Our guest is noted film critic David Thompson. I am one of those old-fashioned purists who believes that there is nothing like changing light to produce changing emotion. Philosophy and film, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of 91.7 KALW, local and innovative public radio for San Francisco.
1: Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus.
0: And from that oasis of thought, we migrate to this oasis of the air, and from the air to the internet via first our blog, blog theblog.philosophytalk.org, and then also now, folks, you can soon download the entire archive of philosophy talk all episodes past present and future can can we're talking about philosophy and film we don't say arca we say oeuvre oh right the entire <laughs> ouvre of uh, of this of this wonderful show john so philosophy and film Take that in two ways, philosophy of film, like what is film as a distinctive art form, or philosophy in film, what is film as a distinctive medium of of philosophizing?
1: Well, you know, I I think the two go together. Like like a lot of philosophy teachers, I've used film to introduce philosophical problems, and they do it very effectively. Time travel uh, with the Terminator Uh, artificial intelligence identity with all sorts of movies it's very effective but presumably it's effectiveness as as a dimension at least for introducing philosophical problems has to do with what's special about film as an art
0: form or the nature of film yeah you know that's a good question Uh, one way you might think about getting at that what's special about film as an art form suppose you had a story to tell and you could write a novel, you could write a play, or you could produce a film. What would determine whether you decided to tell this story as a film, as a play, or as a novel? Uh, besides the fact you'd probably make more money if you did it as a film.
1: Well, suppose I'm Boris Pasternak, and I'm 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 I've got this story of Doctor Zhivago. Uh, if I write a novel like, like Boris Pasternak, I, I don't have to tell you exactly what Laura looks like. I can leave that up to your imagination. But I can fill it in with a lot of other details. David Lean has to tell you it's Julie Christie. That's who that's who she is. But he's only got, well, I guess in that case, two or three hours.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, uh, and he has to leave a lot out. So, you, there's choices that's there. That's
0: true. Certainly, there certainly are choices, you know. And uh, have you ever noticed how some great novels make lousy films? How some lousy novels make great films? And this leaving it to the imagination. What's left To the imagination and what is said like you have to imagine the inner motivation sometimes in the film but you know like uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings there's that battle scene in there that's at the beginning of the movie it's elsewhere in the book but Tolkien describes that and I kind of imagine it but nothing like the way Peter Jackson realized it and and when I saw that I thought now that's what Tolkien was getting at. So the f- film sometimes helps you see better. But I, I remember when when uh, uh, when we were first kind of told we
1: better start watching French films if we're going to really be intellectuals. And you'd watch something like Antonioni's The Passenger, which has now just been re released. And you'd say that's leaving too much to my <laughs> imagination. Oh.
0: Come on, what happened? I, I why, think that's, why, that's a great movie. It, why did here. he decide to do that? I mean, you know, uh, that's true. That's true. Hey, but you know, one of the great filmic philosophers is Woody Allen, and our roving philosophical report reporter, Devin Strolovich, went out and filed this report.
2: You could be forgiven for thinking that Woody Allen and philosophy weren't exactly on friendly terms. You know, it's one thing about intellectuals. They prove that you can be absolutely brilliant and have no idea what's going on. Throughout his work, Woody Allen has used the language of philosophy as little more than the setup for a punchline. I'm what you would call a teleological existential atheist. I believe that there's an intelligence to the universe, with the exception of certain
3: parts of New Jersey.
2: In a movie like Love and Death, the joke even seems to be on philosophy.
3: What would Socrates say? A. Socrates is a man. B. All men are mortal. C. All men are Socrates. You have a philosopher, and I'll call Woody Allen that, a philosopher mocking philosophy. It's paradoxical.
2: Mary Nichols is professor of political science at Baylor University. She's the author of Reconstructing Woody and a contributor to a book titled Woody Allen and Philosophy.
3: There is a long tradition of philosophy and literature of Western civilization that Woody Allen thinks that he is addressing in his films.
2: Tradition is the illusion of permanence.
3: He's addressing themes of God, whether God exists, whether there is a moral structure in the universe. And if there is not, how do we live in the face of that? To you, I'm an atheist. To God, I'm the loyal opposition.
2: Nichols sees Allen as addressing the philosophical tradition on two levels.
3: Look, for example, in Bullets Over Broadway, where you have the artist, the playwright... Uh, their friends sitting around a a, a table uh, on a sidewalk cafe discussing the responsibilities of the artist. Let's
0: say there was a burning building, and you could rush in and you could save only one thing, either the the last known copy of Shakespeare's plays or some uh, anonymous human being. You have discussions of these themes,
3: but you also have drama about those themes. I think it's right, some tootsie walks in and messes up a beautiful thing like this, huh? I wanted a great play as much as you did! No, not as much. But you don't kill for it! Yeah, who says? So it's not simply in bullets a discussion of the relationship between art and morality. It's as if one's art, one's fiction, can come alive and constitute a standard by which one's own life can be measured.
2: In Crimes and Misdemeanors, Allen plays a filmmaker who hears the story of the perfect murder. Martin Landau describes the actual murder of his mistress as a fictional movie plot. Here's what I would do. I would have him turn himself in, because then you see, then your
0: story assumes tragic proportions because in the absence of a god or something, he is forced to assume that responsibility himself. But that's
2: fiction. That that's movies. I mean. I mean, if you want a happy ending, you, you should go see a Hollywood movie.
3: <laughs> He talks about uh, the murderer getting away with it, forgetting about it, waking up one morning and all of his guilt is dispelled. Yeah,
0: but, but so
2: then his worst, his worst beliefs are realized. Well, I said it was a chilling
3: story, didn't I? And so there's a kind of confession that's going on in the film, a feeling of guilt for crime that confirms, from Woody Allen's perspective, a kind of moral order.
2: Does that moral order include a god who punishes the
3: wicked? He questions God, but take for example the line at the end of love and death. You know, if if it turns out that there is a God, I don't think that he's evil. I think that, that the worst you can say about him is that basically he's an underachiever. If God had created a more perfect universe, in a way it would be more imperfect from a human perspective. So there is a good side to God's underachievement, since it allows for human responsibility and freedom.
2: In Alan's own words, not only is there no God, but try getting a plumber on
0: weekends. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Devin Strolovich. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.